After a week off, we're finally back, guys. It's the Brotherly Sports Podcast presented by The Fans Place. Sam Wexler, Rory Billing, and Connor Billing. I haven't seen you guys in a while. It's good to be back on the Zoom call. It is good to be back. It's good to uh, be talking about the World Series as well. It feels like a World Series that I don't know a lot of people thought was, was ever going to actually happen. So good to be back and good to have stuff to talk about. Yeah, fall classic going on. We've got the Premier League. Everything's happening right now. Uh, it's a full slate of sports, that's for sure. It's been fun. Feels like we moved straight in from regular season baseball and playoff hockey and basketball into playoff baseball and the Champions League regular season of sorts, soccer. It's like all flowing as one now this fall. I know it's, it's starting to feel like the sports world is about as close to normal as you could expect given, given all of COVID. Obviously, NFL has had some struggles, but they're kind of making their way through it. NCAA football as well has had some hurdles, but they're, get, they're getting through it. All the postseasons that got delayed have been played. Um, so we'll see, if, uh, we'll see if it keeps rolling. Numbers in the U.S. are going up, which is going to be a challenge. Um, so I don't, I don't know if it'll keep going like that through the winter, but we can, we can hope that, um, you know, everybody stays safe and things stay the way that, you know, stay relatively okay uh, in the sports world. If we get through the World Series, do you count that as a win for this calendar year for the sports? I would think so. Getting through the World Series and not having the NFL or the NCAA season shut down, I think would be a win. I think it's kind of funny that we talk about the NFL and for whatever reason, it seems like NFL is getting hit hard for not having strict enough code regulations, but there are more baseball games canceled than there have been NFL games so far. It's just because they only play once a week. I feel like it's, it gets hit a little bit harder. So um, so far, they haven't technically missed any games. They've just been delayed and rescheduled, whereas even MLB regular season, some teams didn't even play the full 60 games. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and you can't play doubleheaders in football to make up three weeks' worth of missed games like the Marlins and the Cardinals did. I mean, they sure. missed a boatload of games, and they just played back-to-back-to-back. And the Cardinals and Marlins ended up making it work. But you can't have – the Steelers and Patriots play three times in a week and a half. Yeah, just not just not doable with the amount of the beating and what those NFL players put their bodies through. Not saying anything against MLB players, but it's just a different kind of damage that you can't really double up on games or really have more than two games within four or five days of each other. So. Yeah, it's tough, and especially with the disappearance of the bye weeks, uh, only one bye week for every team this year. And many teams are about to reach that or have reached their bye week point, and that really limits the shuffling around that the NFL can do uh, from a scheduling standpoint. And I think it may lead to some outright cancellations or pushing the season an extra week to get in all the makeup games. Yeah, I do think it's going to be a challenge for the NFL to maintain their their stance of not – you know, not having an extra week um, added in towards the end. It, we may get lucky towards the end of the, the season if a couple teams have to cancel that aren't necessarily in the playoff race. Um, you know, I don't the likelihood of that, you know, usually one team is still at least somewhat relevant until the end there. So um, we'll see what happens. But it, truthfully, the positive tests haven't been overwhelming, I guess, from the NFL standpoint. So, you know, as things stand, it looks, I'd say, 50-50 to, to finish the season you know, on, on course. All right, let's move into the hot and cold performance of the week. Touch the handle. If it's hot, there could be a fire in the hallway. Ah, my hand, that's hot. Ah, this was hot too. What does warm mean? 
since we didn't have an episode last week, we kind of piled on two weeks worth of hot and cold performances. So my hot was both, uh, both of my hot performances were the Dodgers offense. They scored 11 runs in a single inning in the NLCS against Atlanta. And then they scored eight runs overall in support of Clayton Kershaw in game one of the World Series. And it looks like they really can't be stopped offensively. Yeah, it blends into part of my hot and cold was the Braves pitching going from very hot to very cold when they ran into that, to the Dodgers hot offense. And those bats were just better than the Braves pitching at the end of the NLCS. And that's what won a lot of the reason why the Dodgers won won that series and advanced to the World Series. So, I mean, this is the, man, the big reason they brought in Mookie Betts, right? The defense he played in the NLCS when his bat wasn't doing so hot. And then what he does in the first game of the World Series. And if he's able to help them get this World Series, I think a lot of Dodgers fans would say that contract is worth it already. So, I, I would agree. I think the Dodgers are looking very, very, very tough right now to be able to um, – that's – part of what I'm going to talk about later in the podcast, but it might be a rough series for the Rays. Yeah. I mean, speaking of speaking of bats and Dodgers bats, Corey Seager has been extremely hot OPS over a thousand six home runs in the postseason. Um, really matched only by Randy Rosarena of the Rays. Um, who's well over 350 batting with, with seven home runs. So if the Rays are going to do anything to be able to get back into the series, I think it's going to be off the bat of a Rosarena. Um, if they go down 2-0 tonight, um, I'm not sure they can claw back given the way that the Dodgers are, are hitting the ball um, and they'll already have pitched Glasnow and Snell. So we'll see if a Rosarena is able to um, capture some magic off of Tony Gonsolin. Um, but I think it's up to him and, and maybe trying to get someone like a Brandon Lau started in the middle of that lineup as well. Um, I think that's what they're going to need to get going. Yeah, Kevin Cash uh, manages that club in a pretty unorthodox manner. He's not afraid to shift the lineup around to give guys confidence, putting him at the one spot or a cleanup. And I have to assume if you're in that raised dugout or in the management and decision-making group, you've got to be pretty dead set on making some big changes tonight to shuffle the cards around. Yeah, I mean, I would think so, but you know, that actually kind of leads us into the next segment on liked or hated. Music, sweet music. I was a little bit shocked last night. Um, you know, my hated section, Kevin Cash leaving Tyler Glasnow in to throw 112 pitches. He gave up um, a two-run shot to Bellinger in the fourth. Um, you know, put put some batters on in the fifth. Um, I'm, I'm pretty surprised he didn't get the quick hook. Um, you know, I saw a stat, you know, the other day about Blake Snell being the first pitcher in postseason history to be, you know, in five innings with a shutout and get pulled. <laughs> um, so... You know, I, Kevin Cash is unorthodox. It's worked well for him. That that bullpen was was really good against the Astros. Um, they've got a lot of arms in that that stable that he keeps talking about. So I'm, and they had two days off, you know, from this series versus the last series. I'm I'm, I'm really surprised he left Glasnow out there. Um, so he's going to have to get back to, to managing the Rays the way that he has over the last couple of years. Uh, I think to to be able to have a chance in this series. Connor, what's your liked and hated for this week? For me, it was kind of the conclusions of the respective championship series with Atlanta's collapse and, and the Rays being able to hold off the Astros. It would have been fun to see a Tampa Bay-Atlanta World Series. Instead, we've got the Dodgers for the third time in four years, which 
they're an exciting team to watch with all those bats and the arms they have, but it would have been nice to shake it up a little bit. I still can't believe the, the Braves blew that 3-1 lead. Atlanta is starving for some playoff success when they're up a bunch to be able to close to be able to close something out from the Falcons and the 28-3 up. The Braves gave up a 3-1 series lead. That, that city just can't catch a break. I think the Falcons even were the first team ever to give up 15-point leads in back-to-back NFL games in the fourth quarter to lose this year, too. That was too. back in so uh, it's, week six or seven of the podcast. Yeah. I remember we were <laughs> – so it's no, a, and true, to, true to form, Dan, uh, Dan Quinn did eventually lose his job as we were surmising. <laughs> Atlanta's had it rough, so it would be it would be good to see them get a win. But that Braves team will be will be back for many years to come with the young core and the young talent they have. So it's only a matter of time before they break through, as as the the '90s Braves did as well. So it'll be fun to watch, but yeah, I wish we would be, we were watching a Braves raise instead of a, a Dodgers raise, but still, still a good series. I too wish we were watching Braves raise because I believe my world series champion prediction was actually the Braves for the year. So I was, <laughs> I was a tick off from that being, that being true, unfortunately. Well, my liked for this week was Mookie Betts stealing two bases in one inning and with the guy behind him in the order stealing a base in a double steal. That was the most stolen bases in a single frame in the World Series since 1912. The New York Giants stole three bases as well. So LA Dodgers really bringing back manufactured runs. Mookie Betts getting over any way he can, a pass ball, moving guys around from time to time and laying bunts down, some good timely hitting. They got to glass now pretty early. It's kind of interesting because you don't see a lot of that in baseball today, right? You don't see a ton of manufactured runs, stolen bases. The Dodgers were not – if you if you asked before game one who was going to play more small ball, you know, the Dodgers or the Rays, I think you would suspect the Rays, even though, frankly, the Rays actually don't play nearly as much small ball as you would expect as well. But just speaking of Mookie Betts, I read this quote earlier and I, on ESPN.com, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Casey Stengel um, was talking about Tommy Henrik a number of years ago in, in the writer, um, I believe it was Sam Miller on ESPN, was saying that the quote really captures bets as well, and it's true. He's a fine judge of a fly ball. He fields grounders like an infielder. He never makes a wrong throw. And if he comes back to the hotel at 3 in the morning when we're on the road and says he's been sitting up with a sick friend, then he's been sitting up with a sick friend. <laughs> That's pretty pretty perfectly captures Mookie Betts, and I think if they win you know, if they win this series, it's largely going to be on, on not just – you know, his output at the plate in the field, but the way he's, he's probably, you know, brought that team together and energized the clubhouse and a lot of the things he does that, that people don't necessarily see. Yeah. He's such a genuine guy. And he was tweeting about the free tacos that he got everybody after the game and was saying he stole the base just for the tacos for America. And I love seeing that kind of quote, that kind of publicity for a ball player, even in the heat of battle in the world series. So should we do some uh, world series predictions? I know it's a little bit off the cuff, but we might as well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and take uh, a shocker. I'm actually going to take the Rays in six games. I think they're going to – I'm going to say they're going to win tonight. They'll lose game three. Then I think they rattle off three of the next four. Interesting. Okay. Well, before the series started, I had the Dodgers in six, and a lot of the big pundits and baseball writers and broadcasters had that too, so I may have to rethink my choice. But I'll stick with it for the sake of the argument. Dodgers in six. Connor? I, I think the Dodgers will win in five. I think there's – I think if they, they beat Snell tonight, 
the Rays win a bull a bullpen game in game three or four, and then the Dodgers come back and close them out. Would Charlie Morton instead of a bullpen game in three, or do you think you push Morton back? I think you rely on that bullpen and you try to steal one in game three and then put Morton out there in game four from a, he's been so good in pressure games and their bullpen and arguably the Dodgers might be the, one of the few teams that have the arms depths the Rays do too. But I think you try to, the way you win that series, if you lose to Snell tonight is you try to steal one in game three, put Morton out there and do what he does, try to even that series. So I just, I just don't see it happening. The, Dodgers bats are too hot. One four in a row now hitting really well. So I, I think the Dodgers will win in five. We might not see I, I think you I think we'll see Morton in game three because you've got a day of rest in between games one, two, and three, four, five. So I think Morton will come out. I think game four, you could see Glasno come back on short rest, especially if they're down two one. Um, and then turn it over to the bullpen as opposed to being a pure bullpen game. Maybe Glasnow only goes three or four. He looked really good through three innings last night. So, you know, I could see them doing that again. But um, I, I kind of think we'll see Morton in game three, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's with a, in a 1-1, 1-1 tie tonight. But I think my prediction is completely null and void if Blake Snell can't, can't find a way to win and, and the Rays don't win this, this evening. <laughs> Do we see Kershaw again at all? I think it's a lock to see him at some point in start or relief. You would think. I mean, I, I don't – you know, with his back, obviously he had that issue in the NLCS. You hope for um, a guy like him, um, he's able to – you know, that doesn't pop back up and he's able to, to pitch again. I, I will say I, I would like to see the Rays win the World Series, but I'm also pretty happy that Kershaw got, got a little bit of that monkey off of his back in terms of being thought of as maybe not a clutch postseason performer. Um, it's it's good to see him pitch well in game one. I think my preseason prediction was the Dodgers win and Kershaw closes it out with the save for the win. So I'd like to see Kershaw come in in relief and, and win the game. Now, the way the bullpen's been playing, pitching for them, I don't really see that as a, as a need, but it'd be kind of fun. We'll see. I, like I think we'll see Kershaw again at some point in the series. All right, moving on to soccer talk, world football, EPL, UCL, all kinds of stuff going on across the pond. Rory, you had a whole lot of thoughts piled up about the Champions League and the Premier League. What do you want to start off talking about? You've got a lot on your plate here. I mean, I think the the most interesting thing at the moment, especially in the Premier League, is that after you know five match days. Um, your Premier leaders are Everton at thir- on 13 points and Villa on 12 points with a game in hand. I mean, Villa's won four out of their first four. Um, they beat Leicester 1-0 on the strength of a Ross Barkley uh, stoppage time goal. Um, you know, these teams look like they're actually very good. I, I think we're-, we're seeing a couple teams who have a chance to do what Leicester did a number of years ago and actually, um, you know, be relevant all the way through the end of the season. Um, Everton and Liverpool drew as well. So that's that's two teams that looked like, you know, you're trying to decide are they pretenders and pretenders or contenders. And they both performed very well against teams that are are definitely title contenders over the weekend. Um, you know, unfortunately for Liverpool, uh, Van Dyke um, had an ACL injury and um, it's going to be out for a very long time. So, you know, I don't know if Liverpool can win a championship without Van Dyke, to be honest. You know, he's, he's kind of been the heart and soul of that defense. Um, if he's not the premier defender in the world, he's certainly one of. 
Um, and, you know, pre-Van Dyke, Liverpool had a, had a tendency to do what Chelsea's doing these days, which is score four, but given, you know, give up five. <laughs> so um, we'll see if they're able to, to keep that going on the, on the back line there. And it's then, all in uh, the margins, right? Yeah. <laughs> Liverpool, Liverpool is up 1-0 on Ajax right now in the, the Champions League first leg. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I love IX as a, as a club. They're always a fun one to watch because they always get the young superstars out of Europe. Um, and then they, you know, they, they buy them for 5 million and then they end up selling them for 75 or 80 a few years later. It's sort of a breeding ground for the next, you know, the next superstars. It, you know, speaking of the UCL or the Champions League, it just got kicked off. And probably the most shocking result of yesterday's slate of matches was Real Madrid 13 times you know, European champions losing to Shakhtar Donetsk uh, 3-2. So I, I imagine they'll turn it around. They've got five more matches in the group stage. But um, that's why the Champions League is fun. You, you just don't get an opportunity to see the Giants, in, you know, in Europe um, go up against non-league competition really outside of the UCL. And it's always fun to watch, you know, some of those, those lesser-known scrappier teams come in and give them a run for their money. Oh, yeah. Upset's always fun. All right, moving on to American football. back across the Atlantic Ocean since there's no London games this year with travel concerns what was the most exciting or interesting game you guys watched this past week the invested in red zones so I get to see a lot of the fun spots of all the games but the Texans against the Titans was a fun one to watch with that coming down to, to overtime and kind of married up against the the Giants and the Redskins where Rivera went for the two-point conversion and no, they didn't in the Texans-Titans game, and the Titans ended up winning that by by tying it and then going into overtime. And Riverboat Ron, as he's known, is always wants to go for the win, which I commend him for. Why not get after it? Fortunately, it didn't work that time, but I'm sure there are many other times it will work. So both those games coming down to, to really the last play into overtime and what Tannehill was able to do and the article that came out about Vrabel purposely getting a 12-man penalty so that he could have more time on the clock. I mean, did that to the Patriots in the playoffs last year with penalties. He did that a few years ago with the exact same penalty. So the school of the school of Belichick is growing, where I'm sure he learned a lot of tricks of the trade under Belichick. And he's taking that to the Titans, where they have such a dominant run game that they can control the the clock and and go for it. So those games were both pretty fun to watch and. I think the Texans have just had the worst luck of this year in terms of, I think I was looking up who the loss to the Vikings was bad, but outside of that, the rest of the teams I think have a combined record of the teams that they've lost to of they've lost four games total. It was the Steelers, the the Chiefs, the Titans, and another one. So they've the beginning of their year strength of schedule has been rough. Yeah, that for Abel, um, I've always been surprised why, why head coaches don't do stuff like that more often. It was a pretty brilliant move by Rabel um, to to uh, save about 40 seconds of time or a timeout, you know, depending on the way that that went. For me, I think the most exciting game that I followed was the Ravens-Eagles game. The Ravens looked like they had that well in hand. They went up 24 early, or I think they might have gone up 17 early, and then the Eagles scored. But either way, um, the Eagles came back with 22 in the uh, fourth quarter and then um, couldn't convert on a two-point conversion to tie it up 30-30. They ended up losing 30-28. But I guess the question is, you know, is Baltimore not that good at putting teams away or, you know, the Eagles are sitting on a 1-4-1 one, one record 
everybody thinks that they're better than the record is. Is that actually the case? Um, I think we'll probably find out Thursday night if they trounce, if they're able to trounce the Giants or not, um, whether that's the case and whether Carson Wentz is, is truly back or not. But that was a pretty exciting game. And then um, also wanted to talk a little bit about the Bears. Uh, the Panthers are a better team than most people think that they are. And um, the Bears are now sitting on five and one. And they kind of started off the season pretty lucky. But last couple of games they've won have been against pretty good teams. So I'm starting to think the Bears might be um, – you know, somewhat of a contender in the NFC, which not something I would have said at the beginning of the year. I think we talked about this last podcast where Sammy asked the question, if we thought the bears would be over 500 by the end of the season, based on their start. And it's just starting to look like the double doink season for them where their defense is actually playing really well. And they have just enough offense to be able to, to squeeze out the wins and that's a recipe for success in the NFL. If you can hold the other team under, I think what I said, previous podcasts is if they average holding the other team under 20 points they have a really good chance of making the playoffs because I think with Nick Foles at quarterback they can squeeze they can eke out to that 20 to 20 to 24 mark most games you can get one and a half plus passing touchdowns and one and a half rushing touchdowns on average (laughs) and just call it a day right there yeah I mean we'll see um it'll be it'll be interesting to see as that unfortunate two years ago when they should have advanced past the the wild card round two and they couldn't but they're a fun team to watch with that defense playing well and Foles knows how to how to play in high pressure and in big games so they could be a dangerous team coming out of the NFC which looks to be a pretty close division that NFC West is starting to tighten up even more with the 49ers playing better despite all their injuries it'll be fun to watch and the other game that we have to mention being from Cincinnati and Indianapolis the Bengals Colts but that was an ugly game, I think we can all admit. Joe, Joe Burrow has no offensive line. The Colts struggle in the first half. And I think we'll see both of those teams in a much better place a year from now. Oh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, Joe Burrow has certainly sent flat, shown flashes. I think the Bengals' offensive line has actually been, um, in certain spots, not quite as bad as we all thought it was going to be. In other spots, just as bad as we all thought it was going to be. But Not a dumpster you know, a fire, but the matches <laughs> and the gasoline are next to the dumpster. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, next year, the couple couple draft picks, they might be able to turn that around. And then um, the Colts, Rivers. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see what the Colts do about their quarterback situation. Rivers signed, obviously, a one-year deal. He's shown flashes of, of both sides of how good he can be and how bad he can be. Brissett is clearly not the long-term answer. So who knows what they're going to do there. You know, obviously still rely on defense and running the ball. But, um, you know, if they were to get a true quarterback to fill the Andrew Luck shoes, I think the Colts would be a very good team. I'd almost be interested to see the Colts go after Fitzmagic for a year, draft a quarterback, allow him to sit for a year, learn the offense, and bring in Fitzpatrick, who in my opinion is one of – the most underrated quarterbacks out there. He has his really up games. He has his down games. It's just he hasn't been able to be consistent. But you put him behind a good offensive line and a decent running game with a decent defense, he can probably get at least get you a winning season with all the talent that's at at Indy and let a quarterback you draft sit behind him for a year. I'd let I'd let Rivers go. He does not he does not look good. Um, he doesn't, doesn't fit the like, offense either. No, he he really doesn't. So. I don't know. It would be interesting to see if the Colts would trade up to try to get someone like a Trevor Lawrence like they did um, and try to have 
now that they have a really good offensive line, you don't go through the same Andrew Luck situation, but you have some talent and you, and you sell out to get someone like Lawrence who is going to think about bringing this up later in the segment, but I've seen a bunch of articles about people recommending Lawrence to stay in Clemson another year. If you think he's, if he thinks he's going to be drafted by the jets, which or the giants, yeah, or the giants, which is an interesting topic of discussion, but, it would be awesome if Indy could find a way to get someone like Lawrence who's mobile, who's got that arm. You put him behind that offensive line. It could be, it could be pretty great. All right, moving on to the NFL storylines. I wrote a week and a half ago, is the Cowboys season over now that Dak Prescott is gone? I think we can all say a resounding yes. Rory, you had written that the red rifle, Andy Dalton is back, but wasn't quite as back as we expected. I don't know if no. I'd go resounding yes. They're still leading the division. At two, well, it's at two the and NFC four. least. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty rough division. I thought the Red Rifle was back, and then I watched the game on Monday night, and the Red Rifle was a little bit rusty. So, um, I mean, no thanks to Zeke, who put the ball on the ground twice, you know, two drives in a row. But uh, um, Andy Dalton has always been able to perform a little bit when he has some weapons. I think the biggest problem is that offensive line is really, really hurting Three of their top five guys are out for significant periods of time. Um, uh, one of the other guys went down in that game on, on Monday night. I can't remember which lineman, but um, clearly that's an issue. Dalton has always had problems when he's under pressure. So I, I do think Dallas is, is probably on the way down. I also wanted to talk a little bit about Le'Veon Bell. Most of the NFL world is. It's going to be real interesting to see what the Chiefs do with him. Edward Solaire had you know, if not his best game of the season, then his second best game of the season this past weekend after his game, his week one performance rushed for over 150 yards. Um, but the Chiefs don't seem like they love him in short yardage situations. He hasn't been super effective there. Le'Veon obviously gives you a lot of um, receiving capabilities as well, both out of, the, out of the backfield. He can also line up in the slot. He can kind of line up all over the field. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty curious to see how the, the Chiefs uh, split touches and, and find ways to use him. Yeah, that'll be an interesting thing to watch for because at Michigan State, he wasn't necessarily the three yards in a cloud of dust running back for Mark D'Antonio and that Michigan State offense. He was a guy that you give him a toss way outside, he'll take it and leap over guys like the Boise State game, and he'll go bang out 25 yards uh, on a carry and then take a play or two off. Right. So I think if they utilize him for a speed and not necessarily just putting his nose into somebody's face mask, they can really maximize his output and potential. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And if anyone can figure that out, I mean, Andy Reid's obviously one of the brightest offensive coaching minds in the game. So um, he'll definitely figure find a way. All right. Last thoughts, guys. All right. You sad sacks. Last call. Rory, you have a blank sheet. Do you have any thoughts? I do. I actually uh, wanted to talk a little bit about NCAA football season. Um, we, we don't talk about NCAA too much, um, but I, I kind of think this is going to be an interesting year because with some of the, the, the power five teams getting into the, the season late and potentially, you know, only playing an in-conference schedule, no out-of-conference games, we've had a lot of teams that we thought were pretty good lose early. I think there's a half chance that um, we could see a non-power five conference team in the NCAA playoff for the first time ever. As a big Cincinnati Bearcats fan, they're obviously one of the teams that would be in the in the mix for that. They've got a big game against SMU on Saturday. You've got BYU sitting at 5-0. and You know, the same with SMU. If they were to beat the Bearcats this weekend, I'm sure they'd be top 15. 
I would, I would just love to see one of those an undefeated um, non-power five teams sneak into the, you know, one of those top four spots. And, and uh, I think if any year could be the year, this, this would be, this would potentially be the year for that. Connor. Oh, for me, I think we talked about a little bit earlier, is it actually going to be a close world series or not? And I don't think it will be. I think we Dodgers in five. And I think by the time we record this podcast again next week, we'll have a, we'll have crowned the Dodgers a world series champion. All right, bold prediction, but I guess we can take it and run with it. My last thought was just, boy, do I love a good double steal or a hit and run in a meaningful situation or a big game. And I read it verbatim off the sheet because I really enjoy in small ball as opposed to just trying to hit dingers. So you're saying you did not enjoy the way that the Braves ran the bases in game seven of the, the NLCS. <laughs> no, I just like watching balls hit to the infield where an infielder trips over the piece of gum that he spit out earlier or something stupid like that. I love watching something goofy happen and something meaningful come out of it. Yeah. We'll see if, um, we'll see if the Rays how to figure out how to do any of that here and get back to the way that they, they normally play play ball. Otherwise they're definitely not going to have a shot, but the um, Dodgers are clearly, uh, clearly in the driver's seat. That's all that I've got. You guys have anything else? That's it. All right, week 10, episode 10 in the books for the Brotherly Sports Podcast. Wex, Rory, and Connor. And you can check out The Fans Place at thefansplace.com or on the App Store and the Google Play Store. Download the app and make your picks for the World Series and the playoffs as a whole. It's exciting, and I think you guys both agree that there's some serious competition down there in the leaderboards. There is indeed. We have a couple more games to, to play here, and um, we'll see who wins the, the top prize. We'll see you all next week.